Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tegos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays when we sit down with Smart Karma Insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. Thank you for being with us and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another webinar by Smart Karma. I'm Michael Tegos. Today, I'm very happy to welcome back to the webinar, Kyle Rudden. Kyle will take us through the world of uh, SRI and ESG indices, summarizing the sustainability and ESG ecosystem and highlighting relevant emerging strategies uh, in this regard. Kyle, thank you very much for being with us today. This is a very interesting topic and I understand you have quite a lot to go through today. So over to you. Thank you, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. And uh, thank you for your interest and participation in this webinar. Uh, I'm gonna start with a very brief introduction uh, to myself and then just get right into it. My background can be kind of summarized in, in really two years. The, the most recent half of my career has been entirely dedicated to sort of sustainability and ESG related investment research. Prior to joining Smart Karma in 2019, um, I had a, it co-founded a uh, independent ESG investment research firm. We did some um, indexing, uh, basically design and, and maintenance of a uh, few energy sector specific ESG and carbon indices uh, with S&P and Bloomberg. The first half of my career was in more traditional research, although still somewhat related to ESG. ESG. Um, it was primarily in the energy and utility sector and mainly as a sell-side equity analyst and um, head of JP Morgan's Global Energy Research Group. So, you know, traditional um, investment research experience followed by ESG specific. As far as uh, the agenda for this webinar goes, my plan is as follows. First, to very, very briefly cover a few definitions, just operationalize some concepts because vernacular in this space can be pretty confusing. The bulk of the webinar will be the main content sections. There are three of them. One is really just to go over the overall uh, ESG index ecosystem, um, you know, key functions and uh, important companies. Uh, the second one is to highlight some of the top players and a few um, leading index examples. And then thirdly, to broach a few emerging index-related, ESG index-related investment and trading strategies. Um, that should bring us up to about 20 minutes, maybe a little bit more, and then we'll go into Q&A. As far as definitions go, you know, I'm not going to read through this entire slide, just a few key points. Um, as I said before, vernacular in this space can be confusing because it's changed over time and people tend to use things interchangeably. Um, sustainability, or when I use the term sustainability or sustainable, it's really just referring to the umbrella term or concept um, that everything else falls under. You know, you, you've heard the commission definition. I, you know, my, my casual one here is, you know, basically living it without foobarring the planet in future generations. That that's military. Uh, speak for fouled up beyond all recognition or beyond all repair. Uh, that's the professional version of it. The military version uses a more colorful word for F. But it's basically, you know, not, not mortgaging the planet uh, for future generations. That's it. SRI. Now, this, this one is more confusing. Historically, and still to some extent, it's an abbreviation used for socially responsible investing. That's kind of the older, narrower view of it. Increasingly, 
it's been used as an abbreviation for sustainable and responsible investing. So it's a, the, the, the coverage has sort of been widened a little bit because um, it's about a lot more than just socially responsible uh, investing. So when I use SRI, I mean it kind of as, as you know, if sustainability is the, the big overarching concept, SRI is sort of the umbrella concept for this whole space of investing. And then underneath sort of that broad umbrella is ESG investing, ESG or ESG investing, which is something more specific. Obviously, it means environmental, social, and governance. That can simply mean non-financial information, or it can mean uh, approaches to investing using that non-financial information. So social responsibility is implicit in ESG, but it's not always the primary goal. It depends on who you talk to and what they're trying to do with it. But I, I tend to view the more common use of ESG as kind of you know, and in the ESG investing, it's like alpha with the side benefit of, of impact or, you know, having the impact versus, you know, trying to have an impact and maybe alpha if we're lucky. And then if I use the phrase like SRI slash ESG indices or sustainability slash indices, I mean the whole range of possibilities, uh, you know, from broad sustainability and climate themes to ESG, which is somewhere in the middle, to specialties like faith-based investing. And if I say ESG indices, I mean just that, those that are labeled as ESG and that use ESG approaches like best in class, which is sort of a positive screen looking at the, the highest ESG performers uh, and exclusionary like um, negative screens like ex-tobacco, ex-controversial weapons, that sort of thing. So just wanted to clear that kind of stuff up. Um, if I need to say any more about it later, I will. Uh, this first section uh, is about the SRI slash ESG indexing ecosystem. I want to briefly cover the ESG indexing landscape, um, just you know, for general background, but more importantly, as context for the upcoming third and upcoming the third section uh, on investment opportunities. Key players um, or key player categories, if you will. I am definitely oversimplifying this, but key functions and companies in this sustainability slash ESG in the ecosystem fall into four broad, and I have to say very often overlapping categories. There are the ESG data providers and research firms, right? They, they provide this sort of specialty. I mean, you think about these indices that they're you know, kind of specialized factor indices in a way. And these companies provide data and or process data like scores and ratings and rankings, that kind of thing, that underlie, you could say, most of, of the, these indexes. The indexes that are created by index administrators, which I'll sometimes call index providers or, or indexers, quite simply. You know, these are the companies that design and maintain the indexes, the names you know, like MSCI and S&P Dow Jones indices. They, the, the biggest overlap is between these first two categories, and I'll get into this in a bit. The third general group, I don't really know what to call it, but uh, investment product companies. I mean, it's, it's, it's a wide range. We're talking about mutual fund managers, ETF sponsors, banks, both commercial and investment banks, some independent uh, financial advisors, and, and other kinds of firms and consultancies here and there. Anybody that's somehow involved in creating investment products based upon this index ecosystem, mainly talking about mutual funds and ETFs, um, to some extent and an in, in increasing extent, ESG futures and, and other derivatives, but predominantly talking about funds and, and fund AUM. And then lastly, um, but not leastly, financial exchanges, stock exchanges, 
it's kind of a recent trend, but stock exchanges and you know bespoke markets and portals and, and initiatives and whatever else um, are getting involved, not just in, in, in everything, in ESG data and in creating indices, usually in partnerships with the, with the real indexing firm, but in doing lots of things that facilitate exchange traded index linked products, such as the mutual funds and ETFs and derivatives I just mentioned. I'm not gonna read this. Um, and I almost didn't include it because uh, it's really busy, but I, wa I wanted to list some specific names just to kind of give you a, con a feel for the landscape. Here, there are basically four tables on this slide. Um, one corresponding to each of the four categories on the previous slide. Um, each table contains roughly the top 20. I mean, each table contains 20 names. Um, on the left side, if there is a parent company, when I say 20 names, I'm talk talking about the right column in each of the tables. So under data and research, I'm talking about the subsidiary level. The top 20 subsidiaries or products or brands or whatever in each of these categories. And I say roughly because I took some liberty in dropping a few private companies to add a few listed companies, you know, the ones with tickers, because this is gonna be relevant in a later slide. And I also dropped um, a few, just by one position too, if, if I saw, I wanted these to be somewhat representative. So if, if, for example, if, you know, numbers 15 through 19 were all US companies um, and 20 was also a US company, I might drop it if and, and let 21 slide in if that was like an Asian company or something else. So this is roughly the top 20, but, but with some liberty taken to make it representative. Uh, we will talk more about some of the specific names later. I, all you really need to take from this is that it's, it's a big, big space. As I'll get into later, although it is, it is fragmented in a way, it's, it's also highly concentrated in a few names. And there's a lot of overlap, as I said before. In, in the ESG data category, it's MSCI, Bloomberg, and um, London Stock Exchange, uh, FTSE mostly, um, but Refinitiv as well. In the um, kind of indexer category or the, the second table, uh, also MSCI number one, S&P and FTSE Russell, which is also owned by one of the stock exchange. In terms of the products, this is, this is the really rapidly evolving space. It could be different tomorrow, but you know, you're looking at like BlackRock and iShares, um, UBS, Amundi, names like that at the top, but, but that, that's changing. Um, towards the bottom, you'll see some names in Asia, particularly Japan. There's some I left off the list just because they weren't high enough to, to really be considered top 20, even with that, that liberty taken. But there's definitely been a recent uptrend, uptrend in um, Asian fund uh, product companies and, and, and Asian products. And then exchanges, almost every major stock exchange is doing something related to ESG indices. So that's why you kind of see the list of everybody. And it's in rough, you know, it, it's harder to gauge like AUM. Some of these are doing options and things, but this is kind of a rough interpretation of, of top 20 in order in terms of activity and products. And you know, clearly NASDAQ, Euronext, New York Stock Exchange, which is intercontinental. That's the intercontinental the parent, but I'm talking about New York Stock Exchange uh, and London Stock Exchange really stand out. Maybe Deutsche Voice comes in there. Um, they kind of stand out, you know, with a wide margin between them and the others. But again, this is this is rapidly changing, and, and Asia is moving up this list and catching up pretty quickly. Next major section, just kind of talking about top indexers and indices. I, you know, I can't cover them all in this. There, there are literally 
thousands at this point. I, it's hard to count exact number. I, I have a list of over 3,500. They're probably closer to four or 4,500 out there of broadly speaking or broadly defined sustainability SRI ESG indices out there. We've gone from one 30 years ago, um, which is the Domini 400 Social uh, Index. And if that sounds familiar, it is now the MSCI KLD 400 Social Index. And that was, you know, that was very, it was low regional and it was, um, you know, a truly a socially responsible and it wasn't broadly sustainability. It wasn't broadly ESG. The S&P Dow Jones Sustainability Index family, which was kicked off in 1999, um, was really the first major global sustainability index. And today, like I said, there, there are thousands and that continues to grow. It's good and bad. I mean, it's good in the sense that it's a booming sector presenting lots of new opportunities. You know, the bad is, is, is the complexity and confusion that has emerged. I mean, there are just so many indices, I mean, and variants of them. It, you know, the, the, you know the, I put in there just, you know, region X country, you know, like Asia Pacific, X Japan, growth allocation, 5% market cap cap. I mean, there's so many variants, but, but when it comes down to it, um, there really are only a few hundred, I don't want to say a few hundred indices because it really in the index parents or call them index series or families that underlie those thousands and thousands of variants. So a few, a few hundred sort of flagship indices or parent indices um, make up those thousands. And, and you know, even a small handful of the few hundred are the ones that really matter. So I'm going to use occasionally um, global ETF, index-linked you know, ETF tracking assets um, as kind of a proxy for, for everything. There are, first of all, it makes up most index linked, uh, ESG index linked assets. Mutual funds often benchmark, but they, there are very few really that, that are passive, truly passively managed indexed funds indexed to these indices. They're often used kind of as, as, as benchmarks. Um, and while ESG derivatives um, futures particularly are growing, still relatively small and somewhat different in quantifies. So I'm going to use ETFs to kind of put everything in context. <clears throat> so there are thousands and thousands of indices, but really, if you look at this, it's the top 10 index families or series, whatever you want to call them, uh, represented as a percentage of all uh, global ETF, is that 700 ETFs I'm looking at, AUM, all right? So MSCI, uh, S&P Dow Jones Indices, and FTSE Russell, account for, at a minimum, 70% of total indexed ETF assets. Uh, it, it's as high as 85%, depending on how you allocate Bloomberg, Barclays, MSCI indices. But, but you know, call it close to 80% of all global index ETF assets. And it's just a few index families. I mean, quite a, a number for MSCI, but, you know, for S&P, it's, it, it's not S&P Dow Jones sustainability. It's not S&P ESG, it's global clean energy and global water. Of all the FTSE indices, uh, only FTSE choice makes it into the top 10. And then uh, there are several of, of the MSI, MSCI families. We'll get into a couple of these in a bit. If you look at the, the 10 in this chart, so there's actually 11 slices of, uh, 11 slices of the outer ring. I, I put the other in there just so the pie was 100% of global ETFs. Um, but excluding that teal colored other pie, there are 10 
families on the outer ring, three uh, index companies on the um, inner ring, uh, FTSE, S&P, and, and MSCI. Uh, taking those families, um, it's it's about half half um, broad sustainability or SRI. Uh, that's thirty seven percent, and ESG specific is about thirty five percent. So roughly half and half. The big three indexers, um, I just mentioned them, um, obviously MSCI, S&P, Dow Jones, and FTSE Russell. Without a doubt, you can treat this as first, second, and third with one caveat. It's it, MSCI is first, without a doubt. It's got an overall market share um, in indexing 25, generally in, in an ESG stuff, of um, at 25%. Uh, it's 80% of, of ETF AUM. It's lower if you include everything because S&P and FTSE Russell are much more dominant in certain areas. You know, for example, FTSE Russell is, is doing really well in um, uh, ESG futures. Um, but without a doubt, MSCI is number one. The, the number two and number three space could go either way. That They're really close. Um, FTSE would be number two, um, depending on how you what, what assets you include. Like I said, if we really got a good number on ESG futures, without a doubt, FTSE would be number two, S&P would be third. <clears throat> but that's not important. What's important to these are the top three, regardless whether first, second, or third. Together, they've got about 70, uh, 77% of all AUM. And again, it would be um, 85% if you, the way I treat it is the Bloomberg Barclays MSCI fixed income indices. I, I split it and I give Bloomberg credit for half the AUM and MSCI for half. But if you gave MSCI credit for all of it, this group would be about 85% of AUM. Main differentiators, MSCI in terms of just size and global coverage. Um, S&P Dow Jones dominates US equity. Um, it's got the S&P Dow, Dow Jones ESG series and um, S&P 500 ESG. And I think of FTSE is kind of a, a slightly smaller MSCI. It's also geographically diverse. It's got a real strong footprint in Asia. I mean, that, that if anything, that's where it stands out. And again, uh, in certain product areas like, like futures, it definitely beats some of the others. You know, I wish we'd cover all of them, uh, but we'd be here forever. I just, the, the next couple of slides really just give you one, well, two in the case of FTSE, but, but what for MSCI, the next three slides are MSCI, S&P Dow Jones and FTSE. For MSCI and S&P Dow Jones, I'm gonna um, use one uh, index family as an example, and for FTSE I'll use two. For MSCI, I'm using um, SRI leaders, also has the um, ESG leaders index. The chart wouldn't look any different if I used the other one, ESG leaders index. I think they're, they're good examples because they, they have global coverage. I mean, there, there are sub indices that aggregate up and everything, but if you take the entire, this, this one shows the world SRI leaders, but if you look at the entire family, it has global coverage of all major developed markets and all major emerging markets and minor too. I mean, it, it just, a great global coverage. It's free float market cap, it's just weighted. Um, it targets 25%. And this is the, the, these numbers and are consistent for a lot of MSCI indices. It's not just this one. Um, targets 25% sector representation by market cap, um, uses the GIS, GICS um, classification system. Um, from an ESG standpoint, it's best in class, mostly uh, best in class approach. That's kind of taking the top X percent of ESG performers by region. You know, that, that gets you the combination of those two bullets, the, the market cap related bullets and the best in class, you know, kind of gets you really good ESG representation, but also being somewhat consistent with other aspects of the broader market. 
Um, there is some screening, you know, often we talk about best in class and exclusionary as being mutually exclusive one or the other, but sometimes they use in combination. And there is some screening or, or exclusionary screening or negative screening in this, um, but it's just limited to the most severe controversies. So it's, it's not an X tobacco or X controversial weapons kind of thing. Those are different index variants, um, but there is some screening that's used underneath the best in class approach. Um, and it's um, reviewed, rebalanced and reconstituted if necessary uh, quarterly, February, August, November. Effective, I think the last trading day and they announce it nine days ahead of time. So um, I'm showing the S&P Dow Jones Sustainability Index here. I, I'm showing um, not, not the world, which is the, the, you know, the total roll up, but uh, Asia Pacific, Europe and North America. I just wanted to show three. This is the first you know, global sustainability index, right? KLD, for, Domini 400, social is kind of the first SRI index, but this was the first real global sustainability index. It's been around for a while, since 1999. It's, um, it's big, it targets about 50% of the market cap by region sector, also best in class, also some exclusionary screens, just major issues. This one is only rebalanced, reconstituted in terms of scheduled changes in September. We'll get, I'll address some of this later, but you know there have been, not for the sustainability index, but for the S&P 500 ESG, there have been some kind of ad hoc methodology changes. In the past, there have been some kind of extraordinary event changes. Uh, so it's on a scheduled basis every December, September, but once in a while things change between, uh, between the annual reviews. Um, the one thing I'll say about this is that is the Dow Jones Sustainability Index has, um, in my opinion, lost some clout. It, you know, it, it, it's lost a lot of ground to MSCI, to be honest with you. I mean, this at one point, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm remembering back in like 2011, 12, I mean, this was still the index and it is still the index or one of the major indexes from sort of an informational benchmark standpoint, um, very limited tracking assets, none to speak of in, in the ETF world and a little bit in the mutual fund world, but the press um, and companies love this. You know, if changes are made and, a, and it's good for a company, you can rest assured they're gonna put out a press release and it's gonna be the cover of their next annual report. So this still has a lot of clout and we'll, we'll get into this in a bit in terms of moving stocks, but in terms of, of tracked assets, it's, it's not what it was. Um, FTSE, I didn't know which to pick. It's slightly different in that a lot of the indices don't, don't have the same sort of hierarchy as MSCI or S&P. So it, I, I couldn't really that well show, you know, one FTSE index with lots of different regions. Um, I did that with the other two. So I, I figured on this one, I just, I'd show two different indices. And, and the reason being that these are the two most important for the context of this webinar for FTSE. Global Choice has the most AUM linked to it. That was shown in that pie earlier. And FTSE for good, I'm sure you've all heard of it. It has been for a long time, a lot like Dow Jones Sustainability Index in that it has amazing brand recognition as, as being you know, a global leader. Um, the only thing I'd say about FTSE for good is it, it seems to be at least holding on to its position of, in fact, expanding it. And there is some decent AUM link to it. It's slightly more of a, call an impact-focused index. Sorry, FTSE for choice, the second one, is slightly more impact-focused, whereas FTSE for good is a little bit more ESG-centric. 
both have similar market cap weighting structures or, or schemas. There's some capping to the market caps in choice. They're semi-annual reviewed um, June and December, effective end of the month. And I, I, I think it's roughly the same, almost two weeks ahead of time. Um, I don't know the exact number of days, but MSCI was like nine days. And this is pretty close to it. I think the most interesting thing about you know, this broad themed booming ESG index space is a, a number of, of investment opportunities and, and, and maybe trading strategies that are emerging from it. So, so this section is kind of, you know, how how as investors can we capitalize on this movement in the ind indexing? And, you know, unfortunately, it's still evolving and emerging. Um, a lot of the ideas are not viable yet or not viable without risks, but that's changing. You know, the, the um, well, let me get into the trading strategies in a minute. I'll be first just talk about three general ways of, of capitalizing on this boom. And I'm really going to focus on the third, but I want to mention the first two. One, quite simply, and it's, it's very retail, but you, know, you invest in the index linked products, such as ETFs, mutual funds, perhaps derivatives for the inventors, but you invest in the products that are created. Another way is to invest in you know, ecosystem players, you know, like data providers and index administrators, again, often one of the same. And then the third is to trade around index rebalancing, reconstitution events. As far as products go, I'll leave it at what I said. It's, it's kind of retail and there's no need to list a bunch of ETFs or mutual funds. I'm happy to answer questions at the end about the products. Players, as far as the players go um, in the ESG index uh, ecosystem, I'll briefly mention it. Um, I, I say briefly because I want to leave um, time for the arbitrage discussion, but also there just isn't all that much to say. And what I mean by this is that despite growth in the space and lots of new entrants, it is, I think I mentioned this before, it is kind of simultaneously fragmented and con concentrated, right? So in, in being fragmented, there are a lot of small players, usually private, unless you're into venture capital, private equity can't invest. And then on the concentrated side, a few companies dominate. None are true pure plays in ESG indexing in, in this in the space. A few that come close, like MSCI, are investable. They're listed, they're traded, but they're few and far between. Um, you know, and, and while like London Stock Exchange has a bunch of great subsidiaries, you know, by buying LSE group stock, you're, you're not buying an ESG index in pure play. There's so much more that comes with it. The trading sort of area um, is, is what I want to concentrate on. And it, it, again, this is emergent, you know, the effects of index reviews and rebalances and reconstitutions um, for broad market indexes are well known and investors make a living off trading around them. There's, you know, Russell Mumph. It's not quite the case with the ESG indices. They, I mean, first of all, there's, there's far less AUM linked to it, um, but, but also they're, they're newer, um, but that's changing. And it looks like some opportunities are emerging. It used to be that there could be major index changes and the market wouldn't bat an eye. And that's kind of what this is sort of showing. This is, I'm using the Dow Jones Sustainability Index family as um, an example because it, it's got great history and a lot of data and um, performed an econometric event study. Um, the next slide is going to show you how this has changed to 2020. But right now, 
right now, this is 2010, and I just, it goes back further, but I, I felt that that was irrelevant. You know, 10 years is good for this example. In 2010, this is looking at additions and then deletions, top and bottom, and, and it shows a, a two week or 10 trading day window um, on either side of announcement and the, the rightmost bar. I added an extra day, which is why I chose 11, just so I could get the effective date in. In 2010, pre-announcement moves. Um, so everything to the left of the announced bar in the middle uh, for both additions and deletions were, were kind of negligible and even counterintuitive. The comp, uh, cumulative abnormal returns for additions were actually negative, about 3.2% leading up to the announcement. Um, and deletions, counterintuitively, were positive 3%. Post-announcement, everything got a little bit more logical. You saw pop in the additions. Uh, and, and I in 2010, certainly this wasn't because of portfolios rebalancing. This is because of press um, and people just kind of interpreting this as a good company. There wasn't much money at all tied to these things. Post-announcement, things were more logical. The additions had the pop and then came back a little bit. And then deletions just trended down over time and, and, and beyond the window that you see, it continued that downward trend. In, two, in 2020, things got to be a little bit more as expected and not super pronounced and not screaming arbitrage opportunities, but they make a lot of more sense. Um, they're more logical uh, and, and more visible earlier on, more visible and pronounced in the pre-announcement windows to the left of the bar. For additions, the impact is stronger than for deletions. And I will tell you, I didn't, I've done, I've done this on other indices um, and sub-indices. And I can tell you that across the board, additions have a more pronounced or stronger effect than deletions. You can see in this case, in 2020, for the sustainability, Dow Jones Sustainability Index, you're looking at uh, abnormal returns of a positive 5.1% in the 10 days leading up to the announcement. And deletions were also positive, but less so than in 2010. Somewhat counterintuitive, a positive 2.4%. But after the effective date, um, deletions just kept trending down and down and down for like another month. It's not shown on this chart. For these, for the S&P, uh, Dow Jones, Sustainability Index, and others, things get more pronounced at the sub-index level, right? So this is showing Dow Jones Sustainability World. But if I ran this, I, I couldn't include you know, a whole bunch of other slides, but if I showed you this for you know, uh, Asia Pacific, for North America, for Europe, for emerging markets, it could get a little bit more pronounced at, at the level. It's, it's somewhat diluted or washed out here. But the point is that stocks do move and in the way you expect them to, more so now than they have in the past, and, and it's changing every year. And it doesn't, I guess the other point I wanna make is, is it doesn't always, though, though linked assets matter, the visibility of the index also matters because um, again, this, these things garner a lot of press and I can't possibly think that some of the big moves that I've seen is entirely linked to tracking AUM. Okay, that's it for prepared comments. And we go into questions. Um, the trade, you know, trading opportunities are a really complex situation. There are a number of risks associated with it. It's something that's emerging. I, you know, I'm not suggesting that anyone go out and try to do a lot of this today, but it's definitely something worth keeping an eye on because just over the last few years, you can see the, the opportunities emerging. You can see the effects before the announcement, you see the effects after the announcement. It's pretty significant compared to the way it was you know, five, six, seven years ago. Mike, you can open up for questions or just 
interactive dialogue, whatever you want to call it. That's a very good way to put it. Thank you very much, Kyle, for the very detailed presentation here. We don't have too much time to, uh, to address many questions, but perhaps uh, I can kick it off with a question about potential risks and caveats associating with, with trading around ESG indices. Um, you talked a bit about, about that, uh, Kyle, and I wonder what does, uh, does this angle look like as well? Of, of those categories of, of opportunity that I mentioned, I mean, you know, the only notable risk with investing directly you know, kind of going long for the long term in index providers or data companies, you know, aside from just getting your valuation and timing right, you know, which is, which is traditional concerns, um, the only real risks associated with those kind of strategies is that there are a few pure plays and the upside from this boom in ESG indexing could be diluted by other activities. I mentioned that before, but the, but the risks regarding these emerging, you know, trading and arbitrage opportunities around index changes, you know, rebalances, reconstitutions, I think there are three of them. And, and just by the way, I should have said this before, right, right now there's almost, I, you know, I've, I've ran event study after event study, event study, and I've looked at reweightings and there's zero. Right now there's like no effect, um, except for extreme cases. It's really about reconstitution, adds and drops. But the three categories of, of risk, um, I, one, it's, it's emerging. It's not viable yet, really, on a broad scale. But but other than that, um, liquidity is, is one, if you will. You know, there's, there, it's more about limited upside than real downside. But, you know, aggregate AUM linked to these indices continues to grow. But, but individual funds are small. I mean, on average, you know, of the 700 global ETFs that link to ESG indices or SRI ESG indices, the average size is 538 million, million with an M in U.S. dollars. Uh, a median of 107 million in U.S. dollars. So you're dealing with small funds, but but you know most importantly, that many of the small ETFs track indices, not tracked by larger ETFs. So I, if if you're if you're really looking at portfolio rebalancing, there's there's still it's growing, but there's still a very very small pool of investment products that are linked that are big enough to have an impact. You know, so I, I, for now, certainly, um, and maybe for the foreseeable future, trading around anything but all the major indices, you know, by the big three is, is, is just a risky proposition and, and risky in the sense that your upside is probably not going to be there, not really downside risk. The second thing is transparency um, regarding index methodology, um, as well as underlying ESG data, which is sort of part of the methodology. You know, investor and regulatory pressure has increased transparency and continues to do that. Um, but it remains an issue and it matters because, you know, transparency impacts the ability or not to anticipate constituency changes because they're in part based upon, I mean, in part based upon traditional factors, market cap and that kind of stuff, but largely based on ESG performance. That's proprietary still. Um, and while disclosure is getting better, in part because of regulation, it's still not enough to put a lot of money behind predicting, especially for you know some some of the ESG indices that that have not only is the ESG methodology not transparent there there are you know kind of catch-all clauses in there that let, let committees sort of make on the fly changes if you will in each review period. A long-winded way of saying that that transparency of underlying methodology, particularly around the ESG data risk. Uh, and then the third risk, which I already alluded to, is regulation. 
that's, that's a good thing in that it forces indexers and data providers to be more transparent, right? But, but regulation, particularly, you know, a good example is, um, I forget the number, but it's like regulation EU 2019 something, the low carbon benchmark regulation in the EU. It's improving transparency, but, but things like that is a double-edged sword in that it occasionally, they occasionally force ad hoc modifications to index methodologies and what have been called extraordinary rebalancing and reconstitution events. Like, as I mentioned before, the S&P 500, uh, extraordinary S&P 500 ESG, extraordinary rebalance event just recently, a month or so ago, uh, several months ago, uh, late last year. You know, these surprise methodology changes and, and weighting and constituent changes are likely to be rare, but likely to increase in frequency uh, because just the regulation around benchmarking and indices and ESG data uh, is picking up pace and, and, and pretty rapidly. So that's, that's the third risk. Understood. Thank you very much for that. You mentioned the complexity and confusion that's created around all the different indices that have been uh, created. Do you think there's any prospects of standardization there, of potential streamlining? You know, I, the, the, that question would be great for an ESG frameworks, you know, uh, reporting frameworks webinar mm -hmm. discussion, um, because we are seeing some convergence and standardization there. It's going the other way here. And the offering, the broad menu of indices is, is growing. And as it grows, I mean, you can only have so many indices that do the same thing, right? So they, they'll try to do different things and, and cater to, you know, smaller and smaller niches. You know, in a way, that's a good thing. I mean, um, you know, because in the past, you know, just just like every ESG reporting framework, you know, there isn't a one size fits all. Not every framework works well for every company. It's the same with indices. Not not five years ago, if you took the the the, the suite of available indices, you know, there are plenty of investors that that had different needs, and none of those that none of those indices would have perfectly suited. You know, now there's an index for everyone. Um, which is a good thing in a lot of ways, but but for you know someone who's who's you know full time business isn't ESG indices, it can be it can be pretty confusing. Um, you you just need to, you need to do a couple of things. One, you, you need to forget about ninety percent of them and just focus on the major ones, and then you know forget about the variance. Um, if you're just trying to understand the space, you know forget about the X Y Z index X this country and cap. We're just focus on you know, the higher level aggregations, the main index, the family, the series, whatever you want to call it. Um, and things get a lot less confusing. Less, but they're still confusing. I see. Thank you very much for that. Uh, and with that, I think we can wrap up. Thank you, Kyle, very much for being so generous with your time today. And uh, thank you, everyone, for being with us. Well, uh, Kyle, we'll have to just bring you back, I guess, for, for a dedicated Frameworks uh, webinar, because I understand there's quite a lot to talk about there. Uh, in the meantime, you can find Kyle's work on the Smart Karma platform. And if you have any bespoke research requests for Kyle, you can get in touch with your Smart Karma account manager, and they will help you out. If you have any uh, more questions, you can email us at research at smartkarma.com. Kyle. Thank you very much once again. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for attending. Have a good one. That's it for this week. If you liked this episode, please share it with your networks and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. 
And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening and see you at the next one.